From the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. Hello, fine humans. It's great to have you here. You have found yourself at the Badass Counseling Show. We are a podcast that counsels people and takes listener questions on our lightning rounds. And I am the host of the show. My name is Sven Erlinson. I am joined by my producers, Rob the Rocket and KC is actually in the studio today. She is not in the booth, which is always a special treat. Rob, what say ye today? Glad to have a full house here today. Always great to have all three of us. I'm sure there's a multiplicative effect and it'll be even better than usual today. Wow. So now we have to know words like multiplicative. Thought I'd get it in. I've been trying for two years now. (laughs) Done. KC, how are you today? Great. Good morning, everybody. How does it feel to be out of the booth? We always have you back in the booth. I prefer to be behind the scenes, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we like it when you're not behind, not only behind the scenes, uh, even though you keep everything running here. All right. And you always have good input, both you guys. It's it's really great. Rob, uh, let's go ahead today. Today's uh, sort of a military day. We have a military guest, uh, former military. And uh, so how that plays in or doesn't play in, let's find out. Go ahead, Rob. Tell us about Cody. Sir, yes, sir. Cody wrote in and said, I started listening to the podcast about a year ago. I was involved in a self-defense shooting and indicted. I am fighting the system and my own mental health issues, along with abandonment from family, friends, and partners. My five-year vet of the USMC would love to get on the podcast for advice and to share my story. Well, good morning, Cody. How are you today? I'm doing all right. All right. We're just going to get this one out of the way. Um, we all want to know what the hell with the shooting. And we're, I'm, I'm assuming you're, the nature of it is you probably can't share a damn thing. But if there's anything you can share, just so we can all sort of let that one go and get on to the real meat, uh, go ahead. What can you tell us? I can tell you that um, I, I'm licensed to carry and conceal. I'm a former United States Marine. Um, I trained constantly with my firearms. I was trying to leave a situation and was attacked, uh, warned the individual several times, and he kept coming. So ultimately, I defended myself. Um, I aided, and I also called 911, worked with investigation. That night, they released me. Six weeks later, they indicted me on attempted second-degree murder. Uh, I'm on I'm out on bond now and just uh, waiting to continue forward with the trial. Done. You don't have to say a word more. You're good, man, in my book. All right. All right. So moving forward then, but you go on and say, fighting the system and my own mental health issues along with abandonment and family. So I, uh, I want to know what are your own mental health issues? What are we really talking about here? Shortly before that happened, um, I was diagnosed with ADHD and started medication, and I've been going to counseling for several years. Um, of course, it's through the VA, so sometimes they don't stick around long. you got to change up quite a bit, but I, I think I've finally got one now that I, that's going to be around a while. Um, I don't have—my daughter is the only one that lives here anymore. Everyone else has moved away. Uh, I had a, a really tough first divorce um, and then moved right into another relationship— uh, the first, the first marriage is the one I have a daughter with, and she had two children prior, and I helped raise them for 14 years. 
in the last three years, both of those children have passed away, one from a fentanyl overdose and another one from a, I believe it was an alcohol-related car accident. Mm. Um, my daughter is about to graduate high school, and uh, like I said, my family's, I don't really have any family here other than her. I don't see her that often. She's 18. She does her own thing. So um, I've had several relationships that I thought were going somewhere and, and ended up with a lot of false promises. Um, a lot of people, because I think because of the shooting also, I think a lot of people have backed off a lot from me. Yeah. Um, so it's difficult. I work in an environment where there's people around, but kind of on my own all day. Um, and I don't, I don't like being alone at all. Like, so I'm constantly looking for something to, to do, uh, places to go. I spend way too much time probably at a bar, honestly. And uh, I'm, I'm not drinking heavy, but I go there just to, I guess, be around people, even if I don't talk to them. What for you is the hardest part about being alone or not in motion or not doing something or not around other people? What's the hardest part about being alone? I guess just not having communication with people. Fair enough. And when you're alone, and this is kind of a weird question, but do your best. And you're familiar with my, my show, so you kind of know how I work and what I'm talking about and thinking. And what goes on inside of you when you're alone? What does your brain start thinking? Or what do you start feeling when you're alone? A lot of different things, but probably, probably a lot of anxiety. Um, I feel like worthless, kind of. I feel like nobody wants to be around me. Um, that makes total sense. I know that, like, I... I add a lot of value, and, and I'm always there for people if they call me any time of the day or night, you know, and I'll, I'll do what I can to help them out. But uh, I, I, maybe that's just because I'm so eager to be involved and around people. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with helping people out. It's beautiful. It's great. And in fact, I see it a lot with military folk and first responders and so forth that I work with that they're, they're givers and they want to give and they want to give. And, and a lot of times they're giving and giving and giving and not getting as much back in return because they don't sort of insist that their needs met get met as much as they're trying to meet everybody else's needs sometimes. You know, everybody's different, but, you know, I see that one a lot. And very often we're doing that because... I so badly want you to stay. I so badly want you to be nice to me. I'll do everything for you. Just give me a little bit of love in return. Just be nice to me, uh, that sort of thing. Um, it, let me ask you, uh, so when you're in anxiety and when you're feeling worthless when you're alone, those are feelings. And for a guy like you, military guy, you know, tough guy, I'm, I'm, I have no doubt. For you, I asked that question in your brain. I said, what are you thinking or what are you feeling? And your, you instantly went to telling me about anxiety and worthlessness. Okay, those are feelings. So for a tough guy like you to go initially to feelings, that's actually kind of a really good sign. Because I work with a lot of hard dudes and a lot of hard-ass women who... I ask them, you know, what are they feeling? And they're like, what the fuck's a feeling? I don't even know what that is, right? So for you to right. be able to go there is actually very, very, very good. That's a great sign, man. You're able to identify what you're feeling. Okay, now let's go to the other side and ask, okay. what, when you're alone, what, is it, what are the thoughts running through your head about yourself or about life? What are the repetitive thoughts that you think about? Is it like nobody wants me or what are the thoughts? It can be anything. I try to figure out why people left, I guess. I get really angry because, I, you know, a lot of people have told me in relationships and stuff that I needed to be a certain way. And then I've, 
I might try to do that or I do make changes and then they still leave anyway. And I guess that's what goes through my head a lot is I just kind of feel like everything is, there's no point. It's not ever going to be good enough, you know? Right. And that makes total sense. I mean, come on. If you have enough failures or things going wrong, eventually you're going to start to believe this is just my fucking fate. There's no fucking hope. It's going to be this way forever. makes total sense that you think that. Um, And for you, um, you said, you know, one of the things that you sort of run through your head a lot is why have people left? Why are people leaving? Why do they leave? Why do they leave? And and then you get angry because people wanted you to be a certain way, then you'd be it and you would, they wouldn't give you the love. Um, one of the sucky things about when people say, well, I want you to be this way. Now I have every right. If, if Susie and I are in a relationship, I have every right to say to Susie, you don't get to treat me badly. Okay, you, you just don't. Or I need you to apologize when you hurt my feelings. I have every right to do that because that's an infringing of my boundaries. You're making me feel like shit. But if, but if uh, I say to Susie, you need to uh, work more hours on your job. She has every right to say, who the fuck are you? Fuck you. It's my job. I'll do what the fuck I want. You know, if we're both sharing the bills, I'm meeting the bills, you know, fuck off. Or, you know, I want you to be more of this type of person or more of that person. No, I, I you know, I'm not required to change for the other person. If somebody's trying to change, I, I, I am required to respect their boundaries and to be kind to them and, and so forth, of course. But if someone's trying to change me into what they want me to be, what they're fundamentally saying to me, okay, if I'm, if I'm trying to change you, Cody, as a friend, let's say, well, you, okay. need, you need to do this, and you should be doing more of that, and you need to do that. What I'm fundamentally saying to you, Cody, is I don't like you the way you are now. You need to change. I mean, why would you need to change for me if I liked you the way you are? If I liked you the way you are, there'd be no need for you to change, right? Now, we all change some in relationships. That's fine. But if you're constantly being told, you know, you need to fucking change. You need to be this. You need to be that. What they're fundamentally saying is I don't like who you are. Right. I want you to be who I want you to be. And I was like fucking late 30s, early 40s when I finally realized this. And I'm like, oh, fuck that. <laughs> you want to turn me into what you want me to be? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks so much. And so, yeah. And, and that would make me angry. But you're giving a twist on that. You're saying I would actually be who they wanted. And then they'd fucking abort. Fuck that right. shit. Fuck that shit. Right. And so it's like no matter what I do, no matter who I am, nobody wants me. Um, back to this thing of where you said, I always tried to figure out why people left. When that runs through your head, do you have a recurring answer to that question? What do you come up with for why, generally speaking, people have left? What's the giggle? What's the laugh? Uh, I, I think I, I, I kind of start thinking that they're just crazy. I, I, I'm, I don't see why, you know, as far as relationships go, I feel like I'm a pretty good guy. I don't, I don't put up with a lot of shit and I work hard, um, to provide or take care of, you know, the woman that I'm with. Um, and I guess, so when I start thinking about it, I, I ultimately come to a decision that they probably have heavier (laughs) mental problems or past than, than I even know about. Um, that may be true. Let me ask you this. And I, I mentioned earlier that when I asked you about your thoughts and your feelings, when you, when you're alone, you went right to feelings, which is remarkable. All right. It's great when a person can do that. Um, and you could talk about it. I feel anxiety. I feel worthless for a tough guy to admit that he feels worthless at times. That's a big admission. That's a, that's a guy being vulnerable. That's a guy being honest. Um, when you are vulnerable and honest, when you're in a relationship, 
with a person? Or, well, let me ask you first, are you that vulnerable and honest when you're in a relationship with a woman? Yes. When the relationship begins, I'm very open about everything. I don't mind talking about any types of feelings. Um, and it seems to be okay for a while, and then it gets, uh, I, I don't know, it's it's like I get treated like I should just get the hell over it, you know, oh. anything that bothers me. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. your feelings are minimized or put down or just get the hell over it. Just right. it, just for clarity's sake, just so I'm understanding you, um, are you present to and listening to and accepting when the other person is expressing in their life? Maybe they had a horseshit day or their sister has really been making them feel awful lately. And you're, this is Susie, your girlfriend you're talking to. And Susie's telling you about her sister and this whole saga with her sister. Are you able to be present to her feelings? I think for a long time I was waiting for my turn to speak. Um, but in the last couple relationships, and especially since I've started really going deeper into counseling um, in the last couple of years, I have tried really hard to listen better and just be present. Um, I'm, I'm not the best at, I think somebody coined it like emotional validation or something like that mm -hmm. at one time. And, and I didn't really, I wasn't very good at that. I'm very much like, a, let's fix something instead of just letting you get it out. I hear you. I hear you, and we've all got some of that, that when we get stirred up inside, we hear your problem, well, let's just fucking fix it, especially as guys, or also, especially as parents. It's really fucking hard. I literally had to uh, type an email this morning when I got out of bed because a client and her husband are struggling with their children, and I filled out a whole fucking email and talked about the biggest thing that's gonna corrupt your parenting are those little kiddos. And they've got four spread across uh, several ages, like six to 16, whatever. The biggest thing that's going to corrupt that is your own shit. The, the feelings going on in you, and especially in the shit that's being triggered from your own past. Because when your child is struggling right now, I get agitated as a parent because I'm worried about my child and they're feeling sad and I want to make their feelings stop because when they feel heightened feelings, I start to feel heightened feelings. I'm getting fucking triggered here. So all of a sudden, I'm caught up in my emotions, and I want to fix it. I want to fix them to make my own emotions go down, right? But that's my own shit. I'm not able to be present to the fucking child. And so this notion of emotional validation, that's a great term. I'd never heard it before. I like that. I like that, that simply to be present, zip my lip, and just quiet my own shit so that I'm present to them. And, you know, you've heard me say it on the show before, what my uh, mother used to say, you know, up until the age 93 when she passed away. She used to say it to us kids all the time when we were children, but then, you know, confirmed it. In, it's true of adults too, and what's that? Children want to be heard, not fixed. More often, right. and it's true of adults, more often than not. Yes, there are times when we just need some clarity from someone. We need help fixing a problem. Yes, of course. But more often than not, especially the more intimate the relationship, even guy-to-guy -guy friendships, man, there is something powerful about feeling heard and not fixed. It's like, you know, like when you got a lot of anxiety, but you got that one buddy, or you're really fucking down about some shit, but you got that one friend who, for whatever reason, is always good at listening, and he doesn't fucking judge, you know, and he's just like, he listens. Well, that's probably your one dearest friend very often. Right. Right. Because you can feel like I can get it out there. He validates your emotions rather than fixing it or saying, oh, that's fucking stupid. Don't be a pussy. You know? Um, and so before you were waiting for your time to speak, but now you're getting better at listening and emotional validation. Is that what I'm hearing? 
Yes, it, it's That's hard. It, it is hard because I do want to just fix things for people and I want to give give advice and I need to just shut the hell up. I know that. But uh, I think what's helped me a lot in the last year is I also started um, having a, a relationship with Jesus. So that's helped a lot. Um, How has that helped? Of, What's the biggest way above all else for you in your life and in your relationships? What is the biggest way that that relationship has helped you? It gives me somewhere to go. Sometimes like I can just go read the book or, you know, try to break it down. And it kind of slows me down a little bit, I guess, and, and helps me be more in the present. Ah, that's beautiful, man. If that helps you in that way, fucking hell, that's great. God bless you. Let me ask you, um, I know you've uh, you've um, listened to the podcast, just out of curiosity, have you read the book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup? I listened to the audio book when I was great. at work. Um, so I wanted to start it again and actually do some of the, the things in it. The exercise and stuff. Yeah. And just so you know, I don't know if you know this, but um, on the website, badasscounseling.com, next to the button where you buy the book is okay. another button you can download. It's free, a free PDF. And it has all the questions from all the chapters, all the exercises. So you have that in writing so that when you're listening to it, you don't have to write down the fucking question to come back okay. to it. You don't have to rewind. It just makes it easier. Anyway, uh, the reason I asked that question is because I'm wondering if you are in the practice of journaling yet, if you've ever tried any of that. I do write a lot. Um, I don't. I don't tear out the pages and throw them away immediately. I usually That's fill fine. up a notebook before I get rid of the whole thing. That's so, fine. I do. I write a lot. Some of it's letters to people that never get sent, like you suggest a lot. Um, sometimes it's just a simple thought or a quote that I heard, love uh, and I'll I'll just write something about that. I fucking love that. That that's beautiful. And again, a guy like you, tough guy, strong guy, and get her done type of guy who's former military and so forth, um, to be doing that is a good sign. Why? Because it flushes the shit out. Like in those times when you're alone and overthinking, right? Or you're feeling shit, writing that shit out. And just so you know, you don't have to throw out your journals. You can, plenty of people keep them. I kept them for years. Then eventually I just burned them because I had so fucking many like cases of it. Um, because, you know, I did it for a long time, but you don't have to throw them out. The only reason someone might want to throw them out or burn them or whatever is if they feel we're worried about somebody getting a hold of them and using them against them or something like that. But you're not obligated to throw them out. Uh, I just want you to know that. But I want to go back to this, this idea of flushing it out. One of the things I used to do, um, you've probably heard me say I went through two divorces. And one of them, I had two children, like yourself. You know, you had a child with one of them, and then helped raise uh, her children for 14 years. Which, by the way, I'm so sorry for the deaths of those two children of yours. That must have been just absolutely horrific. And as if you don't have enough fucking pain in your life as a veteran, <laughs> yeah. right? It was after our divorce, and I wasn't really in their lives much anymore. But, you know, it my my it was my daughter's brother and sister, of so I, I feel bad for that. Well, and it was your kid for 14 years, I mean, right. even if you're not in touch, that hits hard and it hurts. And to know they died that way, mm. uh, that's brutal because you know they had demons, man. Fentanyl, well, felt, alcohol overdose, you know. I felt responsible a little bit, you know, for for the girl when that happened for a long time because, I, you know, I, I guess because it was a fentanyl thing and I just figured maybe I didn't do a good job raising her, you know, to be smarter than that, but... Um, after speaking with her mom about it for a while, that it helped a lot to to get that out and talk about it. Okay, so, so you recognize a correlation between getting things out and feeling better. Is that what you're saying? 
Absolutely. And I wish that I could get a partner that they could see that too. It seems like that's a big issue. Sometimes I want to work things out or get things off my chest and, and it always seems to irritate the person that I'm with. And right. I don't know. And, they, and, and, and let me tell and let me tell you, brother, I hear that. And I, I hear that from you and I hear it a lot. And, uh, one of the things in my relationship with my partner, okay, my girlfriend, uh, we've been together about 10 years and uh, I mean, I do this shit for a living. I listen to people's problems and I enjoy it. And, and helping them feel heard and so on and so forth. Um, but in my relationship with my partner, um, or actually with my friends too, my close friends, um, I have no problems. I'm eager to talk about their stuff. But then there are some days where I just don't have it in me. It's just like I am maxed out, and I have to say I just don't have it in me today. And my my girlfriend, she says to me at times, I'm, I'm very careful about how much of me I share because I realize not everyone does what I do for a living. Not everyone can be my psychologist. My girlfriend can't be my therapist or my pastor. She can't be that. Not because she's not smart. She's fucking brilliant, right? And biggest heart of any person ever. But this is not her thing. And she's got her own stuff, all right? But she'll listen and she will listen and she'll listen. But I'm very cognizant of not wanting to bog her down. And she says that, you know, Sven, I don't want to bog you down. It's like, sweetheart, I got you. This is the one thing I can do in life. Don't ask me to fix a fucking truck. I can't fucking do that. But, you know, I can do this. Uh, But the point is, I have to tell clients a lot that, in fact, I just had a client yesterday. And I had to tell the client, um, and oh, a, a good man, good, decent, decent, good man, right? And I had to say, you know, you're leaning kind of heavy on the misses. Kind of heavy. And she may just not have the skills and you're, you're wanting to get it off your chest. And she probably can handle some of that, but you've got to find another avenue for your heavier shit, whether it's a therapist or your journals. See, I use journals for that. My journal is my best fucking friend. I share everything with my journal. My journal's always happy to hear from me. He's always asking me questions like, why? Well, what's going on inside you? See, that's what I do. When I journal, I just write the word why. Or I say, what the fuck am I feeling right now? Or what's this thing keeps running through my head? And then I keep writing it out. If it's running through my head 50 times, I'm writing it 55 times. And I just fucking, sometimes I bullet point, sometimes I write letters, sometimes I make lists, whatever. So that in my relationships with my buddies, so that when I come into studio with Rob, good dude, right? I don't want to burden right. him with my stuff. You know, I, he wants to hear about my name. I'll tell him some. But as far as the, like, the emotional weight of it, I'm doing that on my own. Or with my girlfriend, you know, I mean, she wants to hear about my day. She loves me. And what are you struggling with, Sven? And I'll do some, but I, I'm taking care of most of the emotional weight of it on my own. So that, okay. so that. And the reason for that is so that my personal life isn't bogging down us. So that when, so that we still have like bandwidth, we still have energy when there is something between us. Like maybe we had a fight. Ah, uh, Sven, you fucking had too many bourbons last night. And, you know, you're a little salty and you, you always leave the garage door open. And then that cold fucking air comes in. And then, you know, the kitchen is cold in the morning. Yeah, something stupid. I just made that up. Um, right. Didn't make up the bourbon part. But anyway, and, <laughs> and so I'm getting my ass chewed the next morning, right? Well, if I'm weighed down with her shit from the night before, all of her feelings about her own personal life, then I may not have a lot of energy in the morning or just ability to be present to a real problem that's happening between us versus a problem in my personal life or versus a problem in her personal life. So I'm, I'm drawing a distinction that, that the, the heaviest stuff, we save room for that, for the stuff that's actually between us, but my own personal heaviest stuff, 
I work, you know, let's say you have a therapist or, or the journaling or the what have you. Um, I want to come back to this in just a second. Much more to come, but right now, a short break. My wife pushed me to watch this guy's TikTok videos. So I finally caved in and holy crap, blew me away. I started watching more and every damn time he opens his mouth, I get blown away in a whole new way. So I finally bought his book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup. To say I got an ass kicking is an understatement. Much needed. It was like having my own personal tough therapist who just gets it. So go do yourself a favor. Get There's a Hole in My Love Cup. It's powerful stuff. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. We are back with Cody. Uh, Cody, I want to dig deeper here. I want to ask you a question. I want to get out of the recent past and I want to go to the distant past the far distant past. Let me ask you this question. What is the ugliest thing, hardest, ugliest, scariest, nastiest, worst thing from your childhood that either happened to you or, oh, I now folks who are, who are listening didn't see what happened because I got Cody in front of me. No one else can see him. I said that and he started to giggle a bit. He started, he blurted out a bit of laugh. So, there we go. I got to hear. What do you, what's the giggle? Uh, honestly, it probably has, it's just, it's a story from when I was pretty young. I would say four or five years old. Um, I, my, my, my parents separated when I was very young and then my mother remarried or had another man shortly after that. So he had been around my whole life and I called him dad. Um, I remember they had a, he had a jar, like the old peanuts jar uh, with the glass top next to his bed and uh, it was full of it was full of M&Ms and I remember one morning I got up and went in there and I wanted some I'm, my mom told me it was cool and when I had opened it I I clumsy little kid I dropped the whole thing on the hardwood floors M&Ms everywhere woke him up um I kind of laugh about this and I don't it's actually pretty bad so he was pissed and he made me a bowl of sugar for breakfast um and I had to eat the whole thing. It made me sick as shit. It's probably the first time, last time I ever got sick eating. So that's a pretty nasty story. Uh, oh, it is. I, I, Go ahead. I, I think I, I don't think that that's a okay way to deal with things. I understand that sugar for breakfast probably wasn't a good idea, but it was an accident. And um, I re- I just remember having to sit at that table and eat that whole bowl of sugar. How did it, it awesome. feel? It felt, it was awful. How were you feeling inside? What feelings were going on inside of you? I think fear. I think there was some fear. Um, and what were you afraid of in that moment? What was the biggest fear? It, he was just, he, he was just very intimidating. I think as a young kid and I, you know, I had a stepbrother and I had, he's a couple of years older than me and I'd seen, I'd seen him be physically handled before. By the stepdad, by your stepdad. Yes. And so you feared him physically handling you, spanking you, hitting you, something like that. Yeah, and he never, like, I can't say never, but I don't remember getting much uh, physical punishment growing up. But, I mean, it had happened, um, but I don't remember a lot of it. Fair enough. Um, but you lived, you're, six, you're four or five, you said, when this happened, the M&M's incident. Um, right. And uh, 
probably need a, never ate another M&M again for the rest of your <laughs> life. I'm kidding. Um, but, but the moment that happened, if you're in fear, that says he reacted to that situation with something that made you feel fear. He didn't wake up and say, ah, you broke it. Kid, what are you doing? Don't worry about it. Let's sweep it up. Get off the floor with your bare feet. We don't want you to cut your feet in the glass. I'm going to sweep it up. And uh, I got it. He didn't do that. Obviously, right. he didn't do that. No, he was pissed, right? Tell right. me what his response was, you know, uh, physically or verbally or, or what have you. It was, it's a long time ago, so I don't remember a lot of details. I just, I remember him being loud and I remember, I remember him pulling me into the kitchen, sitting me down at the table and like, now eat all this shit. Like, you know. Hey, that's what I remember. All right. And it's safe to say that if he's saying, now eat all this shit, and if he's pulling you, and if he's sitting you, and if he's making you eat a whole bottle of, uh, bowl of sugar, it's safe to say he was pissed, right? And he's loud oh, yeah, as well. He was, he was pretty pissed. All right. And you're four or five. Here's a man that you're still getting used to. And so is it is it reasonable to assume then from that moment forward, or maybe even before that, if you would already see him being physical with his own boy, that you were spent your life sort of intimidated by him, afraid of him. Yeah, I didn't I didn't come to him for a lot of things throughout life to talk about anything. Um Oh, and, and, and I don't just, feel like he was Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I don't feel like he was very he wasn't like super involved. Everything was always taken care of. I always had food and you know, I, I was taken care of. But uh sports that I liked, he really wasn't involved in. He didn't he took a lot of credit for a lot of my accomplishments for a long time, which really still to this day pisses me off and he he has passed away several years ago but um we didn't we never really had a very good relationship and uh, i just want to make one quick note and that it says i didn't go to him very often well if you lived in fear of him what you're saying is <clears throat> when i'm afraid of someone i'm not going to go to them and trust them or want to get close to them or open up to them isn't that basically what you're saying Right. Right. So right. then that's a good lesson for me, for you, that if I'm intimidating to people or if I'm loud or if I overrun people in conversations, they're not going to fucking want to open up to me. Um, and that was something I had to learn in my relationships and I had to learn in my parenting is, hey, you got to bring that energy down, Sven. I took credit for a lot of your accomplishments. Yeah, I can see where that would piss you off. Let me ask you this. What was the single biggest message? It might have been spoken or it might have been unspoken but you got the message loud and fucking clear about you that you got from your stepdad, single biggest message you got from you, about you from your stepdad, and the single biggest message you got about you from your mom. Let me ask you, were there any sort of messages? Maybe they were explicit. Maybe you just had a, a mom who just told you every single day, oh my God, you're the ugliest child. No one's ever gonna love you. <laughs> No, I'll be honest, I have had clients where that was the case, as insane as that sounds. It is. So it could be explicit, it could be implicit. What were the messages that you got about you? I think that it's you're just going to have to realize that nobody's going to be there for you, and you're just going to have to work hard wow. and, and do your own thing. Who And who did you get that from? Mom I just kind of, I kind of got that from him a lot. I felt that way from him a lot. You're going to be alone and basically, no one's going to be there with you. All you can do is work hard. Yeah. And, you know, anytime there was like anything with a, a girlfriend or something, he he always would say this, the most disgusting thing, you know, the, I guess I'll just say it. He would, he would say like, find him, feel him, fuck him, forget him. And that used to piss me off 
because here he is married to my mother. And it's like, why do you, that's not okay. I don't feel like that was okay to say, you know, I'm sure in my teenage years, I had, had terrible things that I said, but that really bothered me. Uh, KC wanted to weigh in on that one. KC? It wasn't okay. (laughs) She says it wasn't okay that he said that. Right. Right. And, and what's fantastic is even then, and even now you realize, even as a boy, you understood how fucked up that was to just think, not only think that way, but to say it, especially if you're the person with my mom. Okay, so then let me ask you this. So then what's the effect on a kid? What do you think the effect was on you and sort of your belief system about yourself and about life when you're told, you know, you're gonna be alone, one, and two, find them, feel them, fuck them, and forget them. What do you think the effect was on your belief system about your own self and your beliefs about life? Just that it's going to be difficult and that I'm, I'm going to have to like really, I guess I always felt like I had to like one up everybody. And why did you have to one up everybody? Help me understand. I guess I just wanted to, wanted people to like me or something. I don't know. Of course. Of course. That's what we all want. We all at the root, we just want to be liked, appreciated, accepted. That's all we ever, that's all you ever fucking wanted. And it, it, I have to keep one upping so that people will still like me. I can't slack up. So what do you do in relationships? You give more, you work harder, right? You said that at the top of the show, right? right. And, but I like also the first thing you said where you, you figured out or you just sort of realize it's going to be difficult. What is it possible that him putting that message in your head caused you to basically always see life as difficult or always even potentially attract difficult shit. I mean, think about this. So my, my nephew, Alex, when he was a little boy, if he had you know come to my house, let's say, and he's outside running through the sprinkler or something, and he's a grown man, he's in his 30s, great guy. But let's just say he was running through the sprinklers. He's you know four or five years old, six years old, let's say. And he comes in and he's wet and soaking and he comes in and walks on the hardwood floors and goes, Zoop, slips, bonks his head, you know, he's not injured or anything, but let's just say the uncles or aunts or whatever, whoever are there and maybe they laugh and somebody just says, ah, Alex, you're such a klutz. And they don't mean any harm by it, right? They're kidding around and Alex, you know, any kid feels stupid, but they laugh because the adults are laughing and killed kids' brains though, they don't have a filter that that's a joke or whatever, it hurts, but he can't show that, right? So sock that one away, that message, you're a klutz. Well, then he's three months later, it's now September, and he's walking down the aisle in his classroom between the, between the desks, and the bully trips him. And he goes ass over tea kettle and spills his books, and the cute girls that are sitting there, they start giggling at him. And the bully says, ha-ha, you're a klutz. Okay. And then let's just say six months later, he happens to be, you know, it's fucking Minnesota and back in the day and it's an icy fucking whatever. And he slips going onto the, stepping up onto the curb, going into church or whatever. All right. And he thinks, God, I'm such a klutz. Ah, now he's condemning himself with messages he got in the past. It's now his own belief system. And guess what happens with the human brain? He's going to start bumping into things. He's going to start tripping because he's actually attracting the very fucking thing that he believes, okay? And you can understand okay. why he thinks he's a klutz, even though, even though he was never a klutz, he just slipped on a wet floor. I have slipped on wet floors coming in from a pool or you know ice outside 
a, a, a good friend of uh, Casey was just telling us a story that a good friend of hers just this week, grown ass man, former colonel in the military, slipped on some ice. We've all done it. Right. But he got laughed at, and then it was met with another message. So the point is, if you tell a child it's going to be difficult, or if they get that message, guess what? It's going to confirm. It's going to self-confirm. Confirmation bias and other things. But the other thing, by him saying to you, by your stepfather sending the message, you're going to be alone. The underlying message that he is sending to that child is there is something that the child is going to say, see, something's wrong with me. I'm going to be alone. Look at all those other happy people, but I'm alone. There must be something wrong with me. He put that in motion. And what did you start this whole fucking conversation by saying that when I'm alone, I go to the bar, I don't drink a lot, but you know, and I, and I feel alone and you start saying, you know, what's the fucking thing you start saying? Why have people left? What's wrong with me? Holy right. shit, you've been getting that fucking message since you were four or five years old, that there must be something wrong with you. You're gonna be alone. The, the, the father maybe thought he was saying, well, it's the nature of life, you're gonna be alone, but he wasn't alone. He wasn't alone, he was with your fucking ma. No, boy, you are gonna be alone because you suck is what the child's brain starts going to. There must be something wrong with me that I'm gonna be alone. Go ahead. Yeah, and I know, like, as far as joining the Marine Corps, it was about three years after I finished high school um, that I decided to do it. And I think it was a big shock to a lot of friends and family um, because it was kind of out of nowhere. But he always kind of took the credit for that. And the same with the career choice that I, that I made when I got out. He, he's always, he always took the credit for that. And I'm just, you never, he never put those ideas, that idea in my head, but not directly. I think that I did those things to try to impress him. You know, you were wanting his praise, even though he could be intimidating and you were afraid of him. You wanted his approval. You wanted him to confirm your worth, right? Yeah. Emotional validation to use your word. <laughs> right. Um, and so just out of curiosity, what was the single biggest message you got about yourself from your mother? Uh, I, I don't know. My mom was, was very caring for me. I don't, I don't, she cared a lot, but she just didn't, under, she doesn't, she doesn't really understand, um, I guess, uh, depression. I, I, Her depression or your depression? Mine, I suppose. So you were depressed even back then? Well, no, no. I, I think now, like talking to her more now, we, her and I have a pretty, we talk a lot, um, but she gets, she gets very irritated sometimes or doesn't quite understand. She just kind of gives me that whole, I don't want to say every time, like, get over it attitude, but... Um. Precisely what we were talking about earlier when we said when a parent's own shit, parent does, can't, had, doesn't have the bandwidth to handle the child shit, now an adult child, right? I don't want to hear your shit, get fucking over it, I don't want to deal. So here's your own mother rejecting you, not giving you emotional validity. Yeah, I mean, you can cook and clean for somebody all you want, but... I mean, it's like, you know how on the side of cop cars it says protecting to serve, right? That's kind of the same job for parents. They really have two fucking jobs or three, protect and provide and, well, teach, right? Okay, right. well, protecting though isn't just, you know, I got a roof over your head and I'm gonna shoot any bad guys that come in our house. It's not that. It's protecting the emotional development of that child, protecting that child's feelings. Because let's be really fucking honest, you're on this show because you got all these fucking feelings going on inside of you. That's the real shit. You can handle your job and you know making the money, shit like that. That's not your issue. You're here right. because of feelings. So you are confirming by your mere presence on this show, feelings matter. 
That it, I think so. That's right. And your stepfather wasn't the least bit interested in your fucking feelings. And mom, as an adult, can't handle your feelings. Just out of curiosity, when you were a kid, in other ways or in the same way, did your mom have really no room for your feelings? If I was hurt, then yes. But um, I don't remember talking a whole lot about you know, feelings at all. Okay. Did, well, and let me ask you, did you have feelings? Did you have times when you were really sad or really afraid or you're, you know, brokenhearted because the girl left you or anything like that? Did you have any times like that when you were a kid where you had strong feelings, not just when you were physically hurt, but when you were like hurting inside? Yeah. You know, I, I did get bullied quite a bit at school. I went to a Catholic school for first through eighth grade. And, um, I was, I, I wouldn't say the poor kid, but I was different. Yeah. Um, and there was time, there was, I never told, I never talked to my mom about all that stuff. And why um, didn't you talk to your mom about all that stuff? Because if a child is sad, very often they'll be sad with somebody they'll feel, they feel comfortable with, right? That they trust. You always say, you said, I didn't go to my fucking stepdad a lot because basically I was afraid of him. So I didn't share a lot with him. But if you didn't go to your mom, that would imply you didn't feel like your feelings were safe with her. You're on this show today because you want to get your feelings out and talk about feelings. That's right. sort of a natural impulse of a child. Why, if your mom was, and I believe you when you say your mom was a caring, loving person. I believe you 100%. But what does it say that you didn't feel comfortable sharing your, uh, I'm being bullied and I'm afraid, mom, or I'm really sad. What does it say that you didn't share those things with your own mother? I just felt like I, that I wouldn't be believed. <sighs> so I wouldn't be believed. I believe you when you're telling me your mother cared about you. I'm not disputing that. But isn't it fascinating that a boy felt from his own mother that he wouldn't be believed. He basically didn't trust his own mother with his feelings because his mother didn't believe him. So in other words, the message, the messages the child is getting is your feelings aren't safe here. I'm not interested in your feelings. Your words don't have worth. I don't even believe your words. She's denying well, the very emotional validation you were wanting. She's not giving it because she didn't believe her own son. You spit out of her vagina and she didn't believe you. She didn't protect your feelings. Right. So let me ask you, that, that's got to be a bit of an uncomfortable thought to hear me say. A little bit. What are you, what are you feeling right now? Oh, right now, I just, I, I recall recently trying to tell her about that stuff and and her her response was just like, you, you know, you had a good childhood. Exactly. <laughs> like you always had friends. And, and do you know why, do you want to know why she has to deny your reality? Do you want to know why she has to basically try to talk you out of that? Because I'm willing to bet she believes she was a great mom. And so you bringing up anything that she might've done wrong, or you bring up any of your pain, she takes her feelings, start welling up. I can't listen to my child, doesn't compute. I can't handle this. So she'll deny, defect, deflect, defend, and dodge because she's afraid of her own feelings. But her, the more you invest in anything, the more you invest in your work, your work becomes part of your identity. The more you invest in cleaning and buffing and shining your fucking truck, the more that truck is kind of part of your identity. The more you invest in a child, the more that child is part of your identity. So if her identity is, I was a great mom, and clearly your stepdad thought he was just the fucking best dad. Look at my son, he's in the military, right? Then you telling them, no, there were these things where you hurt me. Now, it may have been accidental, but you hurt me, or you failed in this. Well, I can't handle that, because that means I'm less than the parent I thought I was. That, gee, maybe my identity isn't everything I like to believe about myself. 
So of course she's going to deny your reality. You are going to someone for emotional validation, to use your word, and she doesn't want to give it because that means she's admitting mistakes. And this is why I tell people the master stroke, the ultimate master stroke of all parenting happens 10, 20, 30 years after the child has left the home. And the adult child comes back and says, you know, Pop, I love you so much. And, you know, you were a good dad and you provided and so on and so forth. But you did X, Y, and Z and or you failed to do X, Y, and Z and it really hurt me. The master stroke happens right now. 10 years later, 20 years later, when the parent either chooses, I don't know what you're talking about, kid. No, you were a pain in the ass. Uh, or no, it didn't happen. That literally didn't happen. And then I'm going to pull all your siblings in here to confirm it didn't happen because, by the way, your siblings are fucking afraid of me because I'm financing their fucking job or whatever. Okay, or I'm paying for their house, whatever. No, didn't happen. But the real master stroke is when the father says in that case, fuck, I can see that, kid. I can see that. Jeepers, creepers. I am so fucking sorry. I need to think about that, son, because you're right. And you know what? I don't expect you to forgive me for that. I can understand why you wouldn't. But I need to think about it some more and really feel that. But you're, I, that makes total sense to me. That's the master yeah. stroke. Because every parent's gonna fuck up. Every child is gonna have pain. And think of how emotionally validating that would be for an adult. You were going to your mom for that very thing. To talk about the pain of your childhood. She wasn't having it, was she? No, not not usually. It's it, she defends she defends a lot of stuff or or argues that it did it. That's not how it went down. Um, but I, you know, I, I don't. I'm not gonna. My mom has been good to me in a lot of ways. She's helped me out a lot with this this legal stuff here recently, financially. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is great. Uh, and you know, I did get to do a lot of cool cool shit growing up. And, and my but, that did but take all me that aside, you already said too. she's kind and loving and everything. All that aside, for your own feelings, you've been alone the whole time. Yeah. When it comes to your feelings, you've been alone the whole time. I want to open it up here uh, to Rob and KC. Uh, KC, any thoughts here? Any questions that you might have uh, for Cody or any thoughts you're having? Well, I, the first thing I want to say is based on one of the last things that he just said about his mom. And I can see that he's struggling with, you know, laying any type of blame on her. And I had a similar situation with my own mom. I had what I consider to be one of the best moms ever. You know, just very kind, gentle, loving person. And um, I, I had a lot of trouble in therapy seeing that my mom had done anything wrong to me. And then as I started to get into it, you know, I realized that she had inadvertently done a lot of things wrong. Like, and it, an example would be, um, you know, family is everything. You have to take care of your family. And I was the youngest of five children. And so for me, that message meant that I had to take care of all of my siblings. And and that's what I did. I, I spent a lot of my life taking care of two of my closest siblings, in my mind, just always overcompensating and giving, you know, no matter what. And that led me to a lot of pain with those siblings because, you know, some of them didn't always give back in the way that I was giving and they just sort of took and took and took and then, and then sort of abused me. But I had this thing in my head from my mom that I had to take care of them, you know, at any cost. And so, 
or things like when I was having my first daughter, my sister had had a child two years prior, and my mom said to me, are you sure you want to have a baby now? Your sister just had a baby. Why don't you give her a chance to have some attention with that baby? Wow. So wow. my mom was was always, and probably because she perceived me to be the strongest child, asking me to overcompensate or take care of my siblings. And and I never saw that. you know. And then when I did finally see it, I hated my mom. I hated my mom for a good two or three years. And I had to work through those feelings by myself because my mom had already passed. Um, and once I allowed myself to hate my mom really good and really a lot, I was able to come back to a place of love and forgiveness, realizing that she was human. But I had to let those feelings of of anger in, so, you know, and hatred and feeling alone and things like that. And and so just so I'm clear and our listeners are clear, Casey, um, you allowed yourself to feel something that you'd probably never even realized was there. And it sort of hit you like a freight train. And did you resist the feelings in this case, hate at first? Absolutely. Because it's like, I can't hate my mom and I'm not a hater and shit. And she's the only one that I can count on. And, you know, you know, if I let go of her loving me or doing the right thing by me, who do I have in this world? And and you were, and was she alive or deceased when you had this? She was deceased. She was deceased. And so you're having to sort through all this on your own and give yourself permission to let the hate come up exactly and and out. I I assume. That's right. And then you, and then the conclusion was what? Well, I think that knowing that you can come back to love on the other side, you know, you can come back to love and forgiveness for your mother and still feel like you're a part of her, but don't deny those feelings of of seeing the things that she did do wrong. You know, allow yourself to see that and get it out of you. So in this case with Cody, what would you, now he, whether or not he has hate isn't the issue. It's possible that he does, but what would you recommend that he do with regard to what might be considered, if he has negative feelings towards his mom for not getting his needs met or teaching somehow teaching him he was less important or something, what would you recommend that he do in this case? I mean, just allow yourself to see the things first, you know, because I I hadn't even been able to look at those things that just seemed like my mom was taking care of the family and she was teaching me to take care of the family too and not realizing that, you know, inadvertently she was really hurting me, you know? So I think with your, with your mom, some of the things that I he- heard you saying over and over and over again, um, emotional invalidation, you know, her telling you, get over it, toughen up. I had a father like that, you know, and I, I, you know, I went through life like a soldier, like you, you know, just trying to just plow through everything and not allow myself to to feel things. I, I wrote a bunch of notes of things that I, I wanted to say to you as you were talking, if it's okay. Oh, yeah, 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 please go the ahead. The first thing that struck me as soon as I saw you is, wow, that's a really handsome man. Right. Thank you. So, so just you know, I hope you walk through confidence in in this world, knowing that you're a handsome man. And the second thing was, you seem like a really giving man and an emotionally intelligent man, and that's a lot to offer anybody in this world—a woman, a child. Like you have so much to offer. Um, when somebody Thank tells you. you, when somebody tells you, when a woman tells you she wants you to change for this or that reason, that's a red flag for you immediately. Get out run to the nearest exit, like leave. <laughs> but but if she's, if she's telling you like, you know, just stop yelling at me. 
that's a fair thing to say yeah, of course. because that's hurting me. Right. But if she's telling you to not feel your feelings or, you know, things like that, that the type of things that you were saying, you know, you need to change, you need to not talk about your feelings, you need to get over it. Th- those are the kinds of things that you were saying. And, and for me, that's a red flag. Um, there's, a, there's an expression that Sven says uh, regarding some of the things that you said. Um, the, more, the more I do say and become who I truly am, you know, I'm going to lose people. People are going to start walking away from me. But the miraculous thing is that I start attracting people that are better for me. And I think in your case, you should just be who you are because I think that you're going to start to attract a lot more emotionally intelligent people. You are an emotionally intelligent person. Uh, you know how to work through your feelings, speak about your feelings. Not a lot of people can do that. And and I feel like I feel like in the last, even in the last couple of months, like I, I am starting to meet more people that are similar. Which is good. Yeah, I, I, a funny, quick little story. When I when I got a divorce, I said to myself, you know, I am never going to be with somebody that doesn't understand me emotionally. And I spent like a year reading a bunch of self help books and stuff. And the funny thing is, I said, you know, any relationship I'm in, a prerequisite is I'm going to have them read this book. Right? I'm not going to mention what the book was because I want to know that they're on the same level what's, as as I am. What's the book? I want to know. Getting the love, getting the love you want. Getting the love, getting you the want. love you want. There's a shout it's out. A, it's a pop culture psychology. All right, book. that's but a KC shout out. It Go was ahead. it was Go my ahead. entree, you know, into the world of of psychology. And funny enough, my next boyfriend ended up being a PhD in psychology, so he didn't have to read the book, right? Because he spent okay. ten years educating himself. <laughs> but my point in that is that that I had elevated myself emotionally and then I needed to to be with people that were at my level and I think that you are just surrounded by people that just can't understand where you are man yep. and so so it's time to start surrounding your, yourself with people that are on your level emotionally brilliant points Casey and that takes the courage to know that you're going to lose some people Putting yourself out there, mean like you said, you're going to lose some people, and you got to become okay with that and journal out your feelings. So maybe when you're sitting at the bar, you just grab the cocktail napkin and you start putting out, flushing out your feelings. I used to do that all the time. Swear to God, I go have beers and I journal or whatever. But you got to be okay that if I put my real self out there um, before relationships, but in relationships, yeah, I'm going to lose some, and that's okay. And life will go on, and I'll journal out those feelings too. Um, I just want to say that the the keys to your future. Cody, are back there. You're picking people now who aren't listening to your feelings. You've been picking people like that. Well, shit, that was normalized for you as a kid. Mom didn't listen to your feelings. Dad certainly wasn't fucking interested. You have been keep being alone. Well, guess what you were told as a kid? You're going to be alone. You think those fucking messages didn't have fucking power? They are literally the framework for your life right now. You believed this shit. And I got news for you, Cody, and this may be a little bit of a shock. There wasn't a damn thing wrong with you. You were a wonderful, beautiful little boy, rambunctious, creative, tough, sweet, playful, laughter-filled, just like every other child. But you got these messages that your feelings aren't important. You got these messages like you're alone. In other words, something's fucking wrong with you. All of it was bullshit. That means you've constructed a life out of bullshit beliefs that were never fucking true. That the real you, like Casey said, the real you is a really good guy. But you never fucking believed it. And so you're doing everything else to try to win people to do 
to attract love rather than just being who you are, which means you have feelings too. I want to invite you to stick around. Uh, it's, okay. it's such a treat, Cody, when we get a guy on the show who's you know a tough guy and especially military, we're all grateful. We love our country and we love you know what you've done and, and mad respect for that, mad gratitude, especially for me personally, mad gratitude. Uh, but for a guy to come on, and, and open up and be vulnerable, but be a guy who's actually good at his fucking feelings. You give an example for so many other young men, because you're an old dude now, right? You're how old? 45. You're 45, right? Yeah. But, you know, tough dude, right? Successful and all that, whatever. And uh, and so it's a, it's a good example for young men to realize you're on a show because of the shit that's going on inside you, and it's the same with them. You can be all tough guy when you're a kid, but or when you're 20, but it's bullshit. You got feelings in there too, and those got to come out. So thank you so much, and uh, stick around. Thank you so much okay. for being on the show, Cody. You've been a great guest. And to everyone listening in and around the world, another fascinating fucking story, isn't it? And it's so great. Uh, on behalf of Rob and KC here in the booth, to everyone around the world, have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day. Hey.